Guys, welcome to the podcast. Before we get started, as ever, remember that all the information you're about to hear is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any illnesses or diseases. Please make sure to consult your healthcare practitioner before implementing any of the things we may discuss in this podcast. Speaking of education, if you're an exercise professional, coach or anyone working within the realms of health and fitness, when you're done listening here, make sure to head on over and check out our education portal at www themusclementors.co.uk if you like us and truly care about the well-being of your clients about getting access to the best and most up-to-date information in the areas of exercise mechanics hypertrophy sleep improving your online coaching services and much much more then be sure to join up you'll gain access to endless hours of content focused around everything you need to become a truly elite coach and get your clients in the best physical shape possible this is all in the form of video lectures weekly live education sessions and study groups you also get early access to our podcast and access to any exclusive Q&A segments we do with our guests. The content never stops on the portal. It's not a one-off course. It's an ever-evolving learning platform designed to give you the best information possible in this area. Head on over to our website and become part of our epic community, full to the brim of other professionals who, like yourself, are focused on providing the best health and physique-related results for their clients. Join us and them and gain the resources, support and accountability you need to become the elite of the health and fitness industry. For now, though, grab yourself a pen and paper and enjoy the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Muscle Mentors podcast, joined by Paul and Ross. Um, and you just missed possibly the, the most brain fart heavy <laughs> intro ever, um, which I had to cancel and redo, but I just forgot who was here. Um, it, Luke, what did you say? Nothing. Welcome to the podcast. Uh... <laughs> when I'm joined by, and then while looking at us, forgot our names. Looks <laughs> <laughs> so, a great guy to work with and for. Uh... Unbelievable. Unbelievable. He's an absolute dear McGavener. <laughs> <laughs> that is so true. Um, shout out to David. Um, so, no, QA episode. Um, we haven't done one of these in a while um, and we got a few questions and a couple of them we may end up spending more time on than others. Um, we got the standard, some some questions that are fairly vague, so apologies in advance if the answer is it depends and we just move on. Um, <laughs> no. um, but the, the uh, we'll do our best to kind of give some insight and stuff and kind of give some context and all this stuff. But I think the first one we said we were going to kick off with was I don't know how it was exactly worded. I've scribbled down because I think Ross got it. But have you changed your mind on anything you previously believed in? That's exactly how it was written. Boom. There we go. And um, there we go. Anyone? What are we thinking? I mean, other than the fact that... Lord I of the- used to think that, uh, that Pornhub was the best, but I've recently ex-hamster. Not bad if you haven't checked it out. <laughs> Okay, my bad. Um, the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> well, there is probably a parody with Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm assuming this this person wanted to know fitness related things. In which case, uh, yeah, let's keep it. Let's keep it down there. <laughs> what else have you changed your mind on in the world of pornography? <laughs> I tell you what, have you ever? This is gonna. I'm gonna regret this. But I'm gonna go with it. <laughs> Have you ever been a bit too far down what I'm going to call the rabbit hole to the point that you kind of disgusted yourself after you came and went, do you know what? I need to bring this back. I need to just watch some missionary. I can't be watching two Japanese women fist each other and see the hands come through the stomach. And then be like, yeah, yeah, I've gone too far. It's just now going to get flagged on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, severe. I'm just saying that hypothetically. Yeah, you know, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> severe post not clarity. So, so that's, a, that's another post clarity is a real thing. That's quite in a, a what a common instance that you'll change your mind about things. Then, yeah. So basically, don't make any major life decisions before <laughs> coming. That's um, that's generally good advice. Uh, <laughs> so many people are going to be again <laughs> even if you're doing fitnessy related things if you're trying to make your mind up on the volume versus intensity question come first then come at the problem <laughs> yeah. never make a decision when you're hungry or horny <laughs> <laughs> See, that's straight out of arnold's playbook isn't it 
Okay. <laughs> That's what he talks about. He was doing. Oh, this has started well. Hey, this is uh, again. If this is your first uh, time listening to the Must Mentors podcast, I deeply apologise. Um, yeah, we look forward to you never coming back again. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> we like to educate. Uh... <laughs> and ejaculate about it. <laughs> terrible, terrible. All right. The uh, so fitness wise, do we <laughs> change your mind on? I mean, this could be a literal, almost laundry list. I know, we could rattle off a lot here. Like, oh, I used to think that clean eating was the way. And then I I had a T-shirt that said, eat clean, train dirty. That was awesome. Because uh, Bob Harper from the American Biggest Loser had that top. And I was like, that top's awesome. I need that. And so I bought that. But that was very much. And that that become your life's mantra. Mate, I, I mean, did you guys ever do the thing where you only, you only ate single ingredient foods? Like I could, so, which was like, okay, so I could make things, but I had to make them from scratch with the single ingredients if I was to have anything. So, you know, I could make a stew, but I had to make it because buying the stew with those single ingredients already combined wouldn't be eating single ingredient foods. But when I combined them, then it was eating single ingredient foods. So that, the, 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 way, the way you're meant to do it is if you... You basically would get the ingredients for the stew individually and then have one one bit of wine, like a carrot on a plate and then a potato on another. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The thing is, like, never eat anything with a barcode. <laughs> you wrap that one. Never <laughs> eat anything with a barcode. I was giving my first job. If you're eating something with a barcode, it probably shouldn't be in you. <laughs> you know, when you have to, I remember about, yeah, like, I remember quite vividly where I was foraging for my food. And- I was going to say, you're going to need to take up farming. Uh, I, was looking, I was looking to live in the mountains and I could hunt and kill my own cow. <laughs> very easy prey. Very, very easy. Hunting a cow isn't difficult, mate. I'm going to be It's very easy. Those same people probably like, oh yeah, but grass-fed meat, you know, you want to have some of that. You're like, isn't, where do you buy that? They'll be like, supermarket? You're like, barcode? No? They'll be like, oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it doesn't count because it's single ingredient. You're like, oh, fuck off. <laughs> well, I mean, I did that for a good few months as a little experiment. Uh, <laughs> so that was fine. No carbs I, after. I pulled one a pro card, got supremely jacked. Weirdly, yeah, it was massive. I was 100 pounds heavier than I am now. It was strange, but I don't buy that it worked. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, no carbs after, I think I've done a variety of different times. 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. for some reason jump out in my head as to times that I thought were special. God knows what I'd have ever done if I had to fly anywhere and the time zone changed. I don't know what the plan was if I ever came across such a such a phenomenon because it would have fucked up my plans entirely. But I was pretty convinced your body can't handle carbs after a mm, period of time. Don't know why. Yep. But did that for a long period of time. I remember as well just, you know, zero-carbing it because you have to improve insulin sensitivity and that's yeah. Yeah, and I had to have a gram of fish oil per percent of body fat. That was a fun one. Yeah, you can still do that. That's that's valid. That's definitely valid. Oh, especially for my obese clients, at fifty percent body fat, I'm like just fucking yes. glug that fish oil down. That, that's, that's really easy. So it saves on the shopping. You know, you, you, when it comes to fat sources, like they've only got one. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Fit bottle of fish oil per day. That's what yeah. I like to recommend. Look your food in fish oil. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be on that note, I mean, while bring it on a serious note for a sec, there might be people that do take a very high amount of um, fish oil, and it is actually sometimes dangerous um, because you it will prevent you you when you take in supreme amounts of omega threes and EPA and all these stuff, but fish oil like from fish oil you anticoagulant or something. Yeah, you lose like you can lose the ability to coagulate, so like clot essentially. Um, and there'll be people, for instance, that are on certain, um, you know, blood thinning medication that, you know, you put them on fish oil. Yeah, and They're on warfarin. Um, yeah, it's a very bad combination. So it's it's worth, you know, when people are, oh, yeah, per, percent per, 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 like, per, what is it, per percent? Around per percent body fat was the... Uh, yeah. Okay, that's, that's in some cases maybe dangerous. <laughs> I just threw a really dark cloud. Let's bring it back to some comedy. <laughs> I used to have to have casein before bed because slow release. Yeah, slowly. So it's co- I hate I hate cottage cheese like with a passion. But I was told by a big dude at the gym that I needed cottage cheese before bed instead of the porridge that I've been having because of casein. So I used to sit there with my tub of cottage cheese 
They at one point made cottage cheese with pineapple in it, which I could stomach a little bit more, but one of the things sick I sick in a tub, let's face facts. Cottage cheese is not cheese. It's like partially digested sick in a tub that someone has pretended they like and they're lying to themselves because they've never had ice cream. Really? It's more like yogurt. <laughs> to be fair, there was one way I, I used to have a fair amount of cottage cheese when I was at uni because it was such an easy thing to to, to source. But what I really struggled with, the best thing I... Source. <laughs> It was it is like he's got a cottage cheese dealer somewhere. Yeah, yeah. there's a global shortage, mate. We're really struggling to get it to you. We'll I've got, I've got the cheese stuff. stuff. We've got it coming in from Poland, but you'll be fine. Uh, but getting uh pesto and mixing that in actually works so well. Like it, <laughs> so cheese mate, so genuinely, it was the one. Um, this is the most middle class uni thing I've ever heard. I had cottage cheese and pesto. Hey, mate, you cut, you cut through that weird, like, you know, sometimes. I was eating super noodles at uni, mate. What are you fucking cottage cheese and pestoing? Hey, I was taking it seriously, right? You need that protein, need those healthy fats, too easy. Um, bit of green in the pesto. I mean, mate. <laughs> I mean, it genuinely is pretty good. Um, I haven't had it for years because I think I had. You know, you get someone some... eat this and let us know if this holds up. It's something I changed my mind on cottage cheese. I just don't like it anymore. Like, there you go. I never liked it, but I just thought I had to make myself do it, yeah. which is so true of the early years of training and things, isn't it? When you think back, you're like, I used to do so many things I very much consider unnecessary now. Oh, they're terrible. It's just they're unnecessary. <laughs> you don't get any more bonus points for eating <clears throat> things that are miserable. I used to do the protein shake it's like end of end of session end of set like last set as soon as the rep's done protein shake <laughs> <laughs> and if it was delayed by like 10 minutes you're like fuck's sake i just lost muscle really um, really <laughs> <laughs> i remember i remember sitting in um a sauna back in in hereford after i finished working out and there was some me and a mate were sat there and there was this dude who must have been, we were probably like 19 or something. There's this dude who was just wandering around the, the sort of changing room bit, then came in and he must have been about 30. Pretty big dude, reasonably muscly. And someone said, like asked him this thing. And I was like, he said he didn't take protein shakes. And I was just like, how is he massive then? What, I just don't, I don't understand how, what do you mean he doesn't take a post-workout shake? This doesn't, of course, like something's wrong here. Something's like, I remember being genuinely confused by this piece of information coming to me and really doubting whether it was true <laughs> because I just couldn't see how this guy could be big and not be taking protein shakes. I got the, uh, I don't know if you guys ever did the thing where, you know, you hear some of those top bodybuilders and stuff. They're like, oh yeah, you know, you should be having protein every every few hours. So you need to set an alarm, wake up in the wake night. Wake up in the middle of the night. Yeah. The Hugh Jackman. That was awful. Awful. Like the, the, the yeah, that was a, uh, that was like throughout uni, you know, just set an alarm for like 3 a.m. and you're like a smash protein shake. It's like, why? I followed a diet I got literally off the back of a Dorian Yates tub of protein that was like <laughs> breakfast was like five hard boiled eggs, two slices of toast with peanut butter and 100 grams of porridge. And I was like, it's not, a, it was, not any it's of that a, protein shake. That's interesting marketing. Yeah, it was such a dense breakfast. <laughs> I used to sit there with a pint of water and like by the time I got to the hard boiled eggs, I'd essentially like put the egg in my mouth and then neck it immediately with the water and just try and swallow the thing whole because I was so bored of chewing. I was like, this is grim. I used to crack raw egg whites into a fucking into a pint glass <laughs> back in the day when I first had you've never done that. What the old oh, the Rocky. The old, the old, the old Rocky fucking yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember uh, there's a film where someone tries that, I think. And I, I remember he's like, yeah, just and then he literally goes to drink it and just immediately throws it. <laughs> <laughs> What else have we changed our mind on? Uh, I mean, powerlifting is probably the obvious one from an exercise perspective, thinking that everyone has to squat bench in bed. Yeah. Well, I mean, not even in powerlifting in that sense. It's just like the big three, you know, because in the ski, in the realms of hypertrophy, you're like, oh, yeah, people don't have to do that stuff. You know, you were reading T Nation and everyone would, under the sun recommends having almost standards for what should your clients be able to lift in the squat, the bench, and the dead. Like there was no debate about whether they had to do them. It was, they had to be this strong at them as well. Like, so it was, it was a given uh, a priori that they had to, they had to do these lifts. 
I mean, that's Structural pretty... balance. Remember, remember structural yeah, balance? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, your, your front squat should be like 70% of your back squat, or I think it's 80 yeah. something like that. Your dumbbell press should be 65% of your, of your total bench yeah, press. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember there's a gym... In, for those listening. There's a gym in, um, in Germany that I remember when I was following bodybuilding more closely and they had like the FIBO Expo. I think it's in Cologne, yeah. And they, they, I think it's called Muscle Gym or something. And to even get a membership, you have to be able to, like, if you're a male, you have to be able to bench 100 kilos and deadlift. I think squat, bench, and dead 100 kilos or something. It's just like, that's. <laughs> <laughs> it was a random way of getting it. Could it even be a gym where it's like no women allowed or something. And I think it's, like, it's, it's one of those ones where it's just like, you get one guy that could go in and be like, yeah, I can't bench because I've got a fucked up shoulder, but, you know. Can I can I still come and train here? Because they're like, no, yeah. nine. Nine. <laughs> <laughs> That's about as much German as you're getting from me there. Um, yeah, I'd say was like then, I guess everyone, you know, free weights, definitely better than machines, right? Totally. Yeah. You yes. know, they're definitely good that for a really long period of time. To be fair, that used to baffle me as well and confuse yeah. me and make me upset because people like I would remember, I, I don't say when I was coming up, if you will, like I'm still relatively new, to, not relatively new, I've been a long time, but like I think it's that back home in in Ireland generally, people are kind of, they're a little bit behind, you know, and you know, a lot of old ideas and old school bodybuilding coaches and kind of relatively early in what I was doing, I started to kind of expand my horizon so far as how I think about exercise and, you know, how I kind of think about, okay, what do I need to do, quote unquote. I remember I'd put things up and I'd post social media and this shit you would get, you know, for using a machine, for, you know, attaching something to this, you know, because, you know, you've seen somebody who's far better than the people who are giving you shit for it, do it. You know? <laughs> and it used to get me so upset. I remember sitting, sitting with Grace, I'm like, why, why is this happening? You know, I'd be questioning everything, you know, and then it took, took a couple of years and then I moved to the UK to kind of find out that I was probably onto something there. You know? <laughs> the hatred funny. I had for the Smith machine for such a long time. Yeah. I used to say it was nothing more than a glorified hat rack. Because I think I got that line from Poliquin on an article as well. I was like, it's a good line. So I'll just use that one. Um, and I fucking love a Smith machine these days. Yeah. So do I. People used to say because it, um, what was it? it's a fixed path of motion, it must be bad for your shoulders. It's like, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the shit I used to get for using Smith machines. And this day, the same person still says the same thing. And then so they'll go on, a, go on a chest press, like a, a machine. So this is the same individual who, who can only now do deadlifts. The, yeah. like, no, the only exercise they can do is a deadlift. They can't bench. <laughs> they, can't. they can't. They're not able to do it. You know, years of ignorance has destroyed their body. That's the reality of it. Like, if you're going to be ignorant for long enough, it's probably going to come back and bite you on the arse or the shoulder joint. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's, it's a case of looking at things objectively. No one was saying that. That needs to be on a t shirt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, what is, what is the that person said one day? I think I think I mentioned them um, to open your mind before. I think, and he said, you "Open your mind too much, and your brain will fall out." Yeah. <laughs> like, just become a sieve. You're like, well, you need to be able to hold on to some of the ideas. Exactly. Oh, it's so funny. Yeah. Well, so maths. Like, maths. I used to think maths was lame and shit. I love maths now. Yeah, it's badass. To be fair, that is very true. Um, yeah, I mean, I wasn't a fan of physics in, in I was about to say high school. What am I, American? Um, secondary school. Um, the uh, and, and now I can't get enough of that shit. Education. I say courtesy of Paul there. Okay. Yeah, for me, I, mean, I think this is true of so many things that you, often, unless you see the value in why you do the thing, you can dislike a thing. Like, because you, you, we so rarely do things for their own sake. Like, we're not training, generally speaking, for the for the sheer joy that is the burning sensation you get in your quad. You're doing it because you want the outcome of bigger legs or better performance or whatever it is. Like, those activities aren't inherently pleasurable. Same as brushing your teeth isn't inherently pleasurable. I don't ejaculate from just feeling bristle on tooth. Like, it's not. That's not why we do the thing. We do it for the outcome we value. And I think the same was true for me with discovering physics-y things was I just like in school, I'm like, why do I give two shits about trigonometry and like sines and cosines and algebra and shit? And then due to caring about mechanics and, and exercise, I, I wanted some answers to some questions. 
that you can only find if you have an understanding of some physics. And then to understand physics, it turns out you do need to have some understanding of the mathsy shit. And so finding that changed my mind on, oh, I see the value in this. I care about this thing now because I cared about the thing it let me do. And so that, I guess, is... I think that's the problem when, you know, I said in... Uh, I remember I said a while ago, like, if you're going to learn... If, if, if in school they were to teach physics with, like, exercise as the example, I bet a lot more people would be interested. So they'd be like, oh, like, I can go and practice this when I do PE. And, I get like, you know, it's like there's something to relate to rather than, like, driving a car. And you're like, I'm 12 years old. Why am I going to be driving a car? <laughs> like, I have no way to relate to this material. Um, you know, so it's like, <laughs> I feel like the, the way when you can relate it to something that you're interested in. I actually had a, um, a PE teacher dude uh, contact me and ask me that similar kind of thing. It's like thoughts on differences between a rotating lever leg press and like a linear kind of one. Uh, and then said, oh, I'm a PE teacher. I'm just going to like using this to demonstrate that kind of stuff to clients or to, sorry, to clients, to, um, to students. I was like, that's awesome. Yeah, that's and, the way of doing it, I think. Yeah, because otherwise you're like, all right, so you're going to need to know this sign of the angle of the slope. What the fuck is that? Like, but if you can put it in the context of like, Dude, you, the load that we've just stuck on this leg press that you think, fuck me, I'm real strong on this. It's like, well, it's actually because you're not lifting the entirety of it. Like, oh, and we can calculate exactly how much you're lifting on that particular thing. And then you can be like, that's why. That's like, the root. That is the root in to creating the next level of like the next generation of exercise professionals that like are clued in and get it from the get go. Start teaching them it when they're in uh, GCSE to be like, oh, guys, yeah, when you're doing exercise, so this is the physics. And then they'll get to like doing level three personal training courses and be like, speed some bits. And then they won't be so freaked out when they come across RTS and such. Yeah. <laughs> Although the odds of all the school kids wanting to work out asleep. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I like it. You'll get basically just like, it will be the flip side where all the nerds that were interested in science will become supremely jacked. Um <laughs> like it'd be quite an entertaining time i mean i'm still thinking that like there's someone out here listening going will i ejaculate when i feel bristle on tooth <laughs> probably. <laughs> there probably is um because there's some fucking weirdo into almost anything you can come up with anyone who's into feet just know that i'm judging you i don't understand it what's so, with the toes freak me the fuck out bro <laughs> i'm so freaked out by them. Here's one of the things, right? Like the foot fetish is apparently one of the most common fetishes, right? But I actually don't think I know anyone who's ever admitted to <laughs> having it. Like it's one of those, it would be like a shameful one where they should be like. But I feel like the kind of person who is into a foot owns it. Do you know what I mean? They're the kind of people you can't shame <laughs> someone who loves a foot. They're like, yeah, I fucking love a foot. Get a toe up my nose right now. Like they don't care. And yet I don't know. So I want you, if you're one of these foot weirdos, you know, embrace your weirdness. Just DM me. I want to know who's out there. Don't send me a picture of your foot, though. I don't want to see your foot. Yeah. I do want to know that you're into it. And uh, now also let's troll Paul and just send them loads of pictures. Of I'm going to get pictures of feet now, aren't I? That's <laughs> spoken like a real person who likes feet, Paul. <laughs> this is all an act yeah exactly guys i fucking hate where did you randomly bring up feet i hate feet and tits so no one <laughs> should send me pictures yeah. feet or tits change my nothing else there boys as i say we could keep this on the um I, I mean, would you go as far as say if you haven't changed your mind on something? You're probably shit at what you do. Yeah, well, yeah. Not, no, but I mean, necessarily, because sometimes it might just be like they've stumbled across something. Yeah, it's, it's been a while and you're maybe using approaches that you've used for years and you've never questioned it and looked at other approaches, like maybe try that because it is good to change your mind on things. Yeah, because you, you, all this stuff here where we're talking about, we changed our mind. We changed our minds in light of stronger evidence, basically to the contrary. So it's just like, oh, what you know, what we believed. It's not just like we went, oh, this other thing sounds good. I'll just use that. It's like we we had this belief, and then someone or some piece of information came along and challenged that belief, and we were like, oh, I can't remember who said it, and I feel oddly it might be Muhammad Ali. But he said something to the effect of like, if a man, if you see the world the same way at 50 as you did at 30, you wasted 20 years. <laughs> like, that's 
name me a way of growing that doesn't involve changing. Like, I don't know one. Uh, and so therefore, intellectual growth must involve changing your mind on things and then changing the way you see stuff. And that's cool. You should absolutely own that stuff. There's going to be things in here I've forgotten that I've even changed my mind on. Yeah, but we often forget those bits and pieces along the way. Like, shit, yeah, I did used to think that, or I did used to do that. It's like immediate shift. It's like a, it's like a passive departure from the way you once thought. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, I don't think like that anymore. Do you know what yeah. I mean? It's going to happen that you're developed, you know? It's you, most like shifts in what you think are gradual. There will there'll definitely be some that are like, oh shit, there's like a moment where something happened. But for the most part, we gradually trend in the direction uh, of stuff and then, then forget that we used to be like, oh crap, yeah, I did used to think that. And then sometimes we make that mistake of thinking that other people can get to our conclusion without walking the path. And I'm, like, I'm not convinced that's the case. Yeah. True. Boom. Next uh, up. Next question. Um, so, I mean, we can, I think there's a couple of vague ones, but I mean, one that could be quite interesting. So basically someone's asked um, the, the translation or the easier way of saying is, are there any good like audio books, podcasts we'd recommend for clients to help them with their mindset and stuff like that? No. None. <laughs> 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 right. but, like, the Muscle Mentors podcast is pretty good for mindset, I've heard. <laughs> that's, that's, that's just that'd be good it. if we hadn't just spent the first half an hour of this discussing porn and it's not an area personally i haven't dug into the mindset side of things massively um i know there's probably more more I could look into that side of this, but you know, I'm just shit hot and all that stuff. So I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I briefly touched into people like uh, like Jocko Willink. Um, I think he's quite good. It depends on kind of what you're after from a mindset perspective. You know, yeah. if you're looking for something to kind of nurse you into, you know, this kind of state of uh, everything's going to be okay, then you know, there's probably something separate. But when I'm looking at anyone who's going to orientate around how you think, it's like a kind of a motivational kind of thing. You know, like kind of hard work, that kind of stuff. You know, I like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. To be fair, like the, I've we, I've interpreted this question. I was just looking at it again how he's actually written it. He's basically said, you know, resources, importance of and good audio based resources for positively altering client psychology. That doesn't necessarily mean mindset. Yeah. It just mean fun. They enjoy. To be fair, um, yeah. I mean, the first place I was thinking if I was starting, and I actually recommended. I had a new client sign up the other day, and the big thing that flagged up in the consultation process was. She doesn't do any, she doesn't really have any hobbies outside of, um, outside of training. And I was like, well, that's something we can explore. But it wasn't me just being like, okay, you need to go and do this. I was like, you know, you need to kind of come up, you know, write a list of all the things you've enjoyed doing. And then maybe think about trying to get, you know, get started doing them again. And if that's like reading books that you're interested in or going and doing activities that you previously did and haven't done or learning something new, they've got to pick that stuff. So I think if it was a case of finding audio-based resources for for them, you'd want to have a conversation with them, right? Yeah, I think we can differentiate slightly between like, okay, is this because you want to change your client's mindset and approach and the way they view the world or because they've said that's something they want to work on? Because they're slightly different things. And then as you've just noticed, okay, well, Ross there likes Jocko Willink. And so Jocko's podcast, for example, opens pretty much every single time with, something from a horrific event in a book. Uh, And as someone who really enjoys history, I like that aspect of it. And I like, and I think it informs a lot of stuff to know the full spectrum of what human beings are capable of uh, and what life can be like. But just because that's where Ross might be interested or I might be interested in that for a slightly different thing doesn't mean the client in front of me is coming at it from the same perspective and needs help with the same things. In which case, someone like Brené Brown might be better suited for this particular person or Jordan Peterson might be better suited to this one. Um, It's going to, it's much like a client in the gym, right? Like we can't give a hard fast, well, what do I do with this person until we assess this person? And have an understanding of, well, what's their problem and where are they now? And how do we map out a route between those two points? And that is true when it comes to lifting things. It's true when it comes to diet things. And it's also true when it comes to psychological things. And so it, it is annoyingly difficult to give a complete blanket recommendation uh, of those 
of that stuff. You know, we could be looking for Angela Duckworth and her concept of grit, which some people argue is just conscientiousness, one of the big five personality traits uh, dressed up in, in a different format. Um, we could be looking at Chris Fairburn when it comes to eating disorder related stuff. You could check out the, uh, the Instagram page, Break Binge Eating. I think Jake Lenarden has got a podcast now, I think, uh, on that particular stuff. If the psychological thing that the person is struggling with is related to those fields, if they need toughening up, quote unquote, well, does listening to Jocko or Goggins or co do that? Or are the people who listen to that already bought into that approach? I don't know. Does listening to that increase the outcome of the thing you're trying to increase? Or is it creating just a bit of an echo chamber, in which case it reinforces what we already think? Which is, there is absolutely no harm in that. No, not necessarily any harm in that. But that would be a different thing than, you know, if I'm introducing someone who's got binge eating tendencies and feels very bad about themselves, are they going to enjoy listening to Jocko in the same way? I don't know. And so we've, we've got to take all that stuff into account. And part of being a professional is having the ability to recognize that and, and try and signpost which path might be better for this person, but still understanding that none of that can be done without listening to the person first. Yeah. Sure. Valid. I mean, there's nothing else about it. Yeah. Well, just listen to this podcast. <laughs> I mean, the audio ones, you just be looking at getting, the, for me at least, the audio versions of books that are worth checking yeah. out and kind of reading, to be honest. I mean, oh. personally, I don't listen to that many audio books. I tend to either read books or listen to podcasts. I do occasionally listen to an audio book, but I either prefer reading the thing or podcasts for me are a little more free-flowing, a little less planned and thought out. And I, I quite like that feature of those. Like one of the things I like about podcasts is it feels like you're hanging out with some mates to some degree without having to bother interacting yourself. You like you turn into that mate who's just part of a group who doesn't really contribute anything, but he's just always there. That's partially, <laughs> which in the morning when I can't be asked to talk, is actually quite a nice feature of those things. Um, whereas an audio book is, is something different. Personally, I also don't think you retain anywhere near as much from a pod, from audio consumption as you do from reading it. Um, now that could be different person to person. So for me, when I listen to things, I actually use them a lot as jumping off points. So I'm like, ah, oh, I'm vaguely interested in that topic. Let's listen to a thing on it, see if it grabs me and I want to spend more time on it. Uh, and then in that case, cool, go and do some further reading in it. Or sometimes I can re-listen to a, a bunch of stuff over at similar topics and you will slowly gather some more information but it does tend to be slower mm. i'm a big uh like visual learner so if there's something that i am aiming to consume um you know like whether it's mechanics based whatever it is i would but even you know certain things that are like research based I actually got this nice trick off um dmid because i benefit from having an audio component as well um is you can put like a there's a pro i think you can get on the like adobe software when you get like a research paper or you put pdfs you can get it to like read it out there's like a thing you can do in like the options and so you what i got from him which really helps because i do this sometimes with audiobooks um if there was or you know certain things where there was like the option to read something and listen at the same and listen to the same thing at the same time so you kind of got both both avenues um it's, it's a nice way to consume stuff um so you're kind of listening yeah it's quite nice but the uh and i did that to be fair with yours paul like when i got the audio from from yours and then i had the thing i was kind of reading along and listening which helps also eliminate distractions when you might be reading and then you hear something you're like oh what's that um the uh the but also like you know the i mean it, that whole side of things it comes down to the client so like this, you know, if this question is following a conversation with a client who'd say, oh, yeah, I really benefit from audio based sources, then sweet, um, you know, but still maybe get some specifics on what they want to cover there. But then equally, if you haven't had that conversation of how they learn best, um, then, then speak to them about it. Um, yeah. Just um, all right. Should we flip it on some uh, training stuff? Go for it. How long should well, quick fire? How long should Dom's last? Seventeen years. Done. Too easy. Challenging the short and range. 
<laughs> All right. So then how long should doms last? There, there's a little bit of research on, well, there's a lot of research on doms. Um, and it's usually associated with muscle damage. It's not typically, it isn't actually always muscle damage. It's not like an actual um, side. It's usually just occurring alongside a lot of the time because you'll find that muscle damage will occur when you're performing some sort of novel stimulus or something your body's not used to, which quite often DOMS will occur in, uh, you know, are following the same sort of thing. And so people are like, oh, DOMS are, are muscle damage. Not always the case. And they're, they're kind of different things. Um, there's also different types. So some, like there is delayed onset muscle soreness, and then you can get instantaneous onset muscle soreness where it happens very, very, you know, literally like following a set, which I've only ever had once, and it was fucking weird. Like... <laughs> I uh, it was I don't know, have you ever had that like it basically was the sensation of after one set um and it was it was like I was genuinely concerned and then I went and kind of dug into it a bit more and I was like oh there's an instant one and it's you know that's immediately after a session before not after a set but after a session before just waddling home up the road after a leg session with the bits and the hamstring just felt like it was like I was like what is this I like trained two days ago it was two hours ago two minutes ago and I was like what the hell's going on. Mine was in when I was in France in the Alps, and we were there's like a little gym there. And I was like, I'll do, try back, like, but I think I did like box squatting. And I was like, I'll give that a go because I haven't, you know, we need to train legs, and they've only really got a barbell and stuff here. So I was like, literally did one set. So I warmed up, and then it's like one set, and like my adductors suddenly went like, what? Uh, like, basically, it was like pure doms. And I was like, initially, I was like, fuck, I've just tweaked something. I was like, actually, no, I haven't tweak something this is fine i basically have doms and it then was like that sensation when you go into a set with every i don't know if you've ever trained with doms and, and you like the first couple of reps that you like it kind of oh. it's really difficult and kind of like loosens up a bit it's basically that every set after and i was like this is weird um i like the phrase in that pure doms yeah. <laughs> nothing else existed for me but doms at that moment i was so concerned i was like how has this happened um but the uh, but no delayed onset muscle soreness. So in terms of how it's associated with muscle damage, um, and again, it's not necessarily the same thing. But one of the things they've noticed is if you're getting DOMS that's peaking around 24 hours, that's generally better in terms of you're you're probably getting less of a, of a the kind of negative side effects associated with you know, serious muscle soreness and potential muscle damage that's alongside, like, the muscles retain a bit more insulin sensitivity. So you're, you're more glucose tolerant. Um, there's a, there's more glute four expression. There's less inflammation, all these sorts of things. And then if they've, if they've, if it's shown to be peaking around the 48 hour mark, which is when you quite often see, like, so it said it's worst after like two days after that's usually associated with a lot more of the negative consequences. So basically around those things, but I mean, what are your guys thoughts on like, I genuinely, I generally don't use DOMS as a marker and like, it's not something I aim for with clients. It's uh, it's, I mean, it has subsided anyway. You know, most of the time after the course of a couple of weeks, you end up getting the kind of there's that repeated bear effect that kind of kicks in if it is propensity to muscle damage that's causing it. You're going to have that kind of kick in over the course of a few weeks and likely start lowering the efficacy of that anyway. Um, if you're getting that all the time, you know, probably be a little bit concerned potentially, but you know, over the course of a training cycle, you know, over three, four, five weeks in, you should start to see that subside even with a rate of progression in there. You know, it shouldn't be something that you're seeing kind of super, super frequently. Yeah, as as the guy said there, when you're going to expect it when it's a, a novel stimulus. So generally, when we change program a little bit, we often expect a slight increase in DOMS after that first week or the first sessions within the cycle, and it should be a little less, and then the kind of little less. Uh, as for time, Luke mentioned already. Here's the thing: almost all of us enjoy a little bit of DOMS, even what, though we recognise it's not actually associated with muscle growth. Like. I don't know a trainer who doesn't kind of feel like, oh yeah, I worked that a little bit. If they get a little sore the, the day after, if it's still there three days later, okay, we've definitely overdone something. If it's there a day later and then just a fractional hint of it 48 hours later, cool, that's usually fine. If it's kicking in three days and stuff, okay, yeah, you, 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 you need to take note of what you did because it was too much. Uh, and now, DOMS is still associated with not just the novel stimulus, but things like max force required at longer muscle lengths. And it seems to be associated 
um, with biochemical changes that really cause the, uh, the muscle damage itself. So calcium ion accumulation, and you have these things called stretch mediated calcium ion channels. And so uh, when you elongate the sarcomere, it gets pulled into a longer length, these channels open and it lets the calcium flow through the channel. Uh, and the greater the amount of that and the, the less able we are to clear those guys away, the more damage they seem to cause. Uh, and so this is the reason we expect um, greater amounts of DOMS from things where the challenge is in the length and position. So if you were to imagine RDLs and squats and dumbbell presses, the challenge is clearly highest in the length and position for those guys. We generally see more DOMS there than something where we're training a muscle at a shorter length. Um, not a it's not guaranteed that that's the only thing, but novel stimuli, working at longer muscle lengths, higher volumes, uh, all that stuff is uh, generally associated with more DOMS. And then, as the boys have said, if it lasts for more than a couple of days, you probably have done it. In that case, we want to reflect a little bit and go, cool, do I need to reduce the volume and stuff from here a little bit? Yeah, I mean, there's a paper that I'd recommend reading. It's probably my all-time favorite paper, actually. Which one is it? <laughs> Definitely mass. I don't know. It's the Carpinelli one. On the, ah, okay. You <laughs> meant like one, like study uh, rather. The effects of uh, myometric and pleometric muscle action on delayed. <laughs> so, which is the essential? So, myometric or myometric is concentric, and pleometric, plyometric is actually eccentric. You know, muscle action. Um, very cool paper, and it was where they did an investigation where they actually accounted for like essentially lifting a load against gravity and the speed at which you move and all these things and they interestingly found that so i'll actually read out so practical application is the last bit um and this guy ralph carpinelli for the record he under he seems to understand mechanics fairly well so some look doors this man yeah again on the podcast. the uh so he said based on the results of uh, well, I'll, I'll just read the whole last bit out. Paul should probably read this. He's the better reader. During most conventional resistance exercise, the resistive force, number of repetitions, and the amount of positive and negative work are similar during lifting and lowering. Based on the results of this investigation, persons initiating a program of resistance exercise should not have to avoid plyometric muscle action. So in this case, eccentrics, because e I'll just call them eccentrics. Eccentrics per se did not induce greater levels of DOMS than concentrics when the resistive force was similar. However, novice trainees should be cautioned about the consequences of significantly higher DOMS if high-intensity plyometric, high-intensity eccentric exercise is employed, which is kind of what Paul was just suggesting there. And um, usually what they talk about in this is people when the rep speed is uncontrolled, is not controlled for an eccentric, you do deal with a lot more force. So you're taking a muscle into an extreme, extreme length, weak position with more force than it's probably dealing with on the concentric because the speed at which you're moving that thing is changing the resistance. Um, Imagine for that, like doing a dumbbell press and you were to take four seconds to lower from the top to the bottom position, really smooth and controlled. The force you have to generate at the bottom to stop that dumbbell continually coming down is different than if you essentially drop the damn thing into that position. Yeah, and the other one is if someone dropped a 10 kilo dumbbell on your foot from a millimeter height, it's probably not going to hurt. If they dropped it from a meter, it might hurt because um, it's going to pick up pace right the um so and then so with the introduction of resistance exercise machines that control speed of movement during both concentrics and eccentrics and measure torque and power at a full spectrum of movement speeds additional research is needed to examine the role of movement speed and accelerating forces in doms in addition investigators evaluating doms following concentrics or eccentrics using free weights and exercise machines with weight stacks should attempt to control the resistive force and external work um so yeah i mean that that's kind of similar to what we just discussed right but there's there's different ways and that's a really that's probably the, the i would say one of the best papers i've read on doms because they've accounted for those things and and basically they're talking about that um it's the so they say the um the group that experienced greater resistive forces, consequently greater amounts of mechanical work and higher intensities basically ended up with more DOM. So it's just about the, the force that the tissue is exposed to, which is usually the DOM side of things. And which is what we, you know, when people are doing silly high volume work, you will get more force going to the tissue, um, which usually these DOMs. But in answer to that thing on how long should they last? 
I'd say I would aim for like 24 hours. But equally, like if you can avoid it with, like they said there, with novice trainees should be cautioned about the consequences. Novice trainees, people, if I have clients who are fairly new to it, I'm not aiming for them to really experience much doms at all. Very mild. And it's like... You don't want them to... Yeah, when you're teaching someone to train and, and gain confidence in gym, unless they love the feeling, then maybe you might push it to a point where they can feel it, but I still wouldn't go beyond aim to go beyond like the 48-hour mark with what I did. That'd be a case of starting with less and tapering it up, because if they're like, oh, I like to feel a bit sore, we've got to go. Um, but the... Uh, you can also think, like, here's a good example of how people relate to that that most of you guys will be familiar with. If I get you doms in your abs, generally you'll be like, sweet, going to have a six-pack soon. If I get you doms in your low back, a lot of people are like, oh, shit, I'm, I've ruined my spine, I'm fucked. No, I've just created doms in different tissues, and how you associate to that is the big difference within that. It's going to be the same for clients. Some people like that feeling and some people don't. And you get to navigate that and, and make your decisions as a trainer. Yeah. And I wouldn't personally, well, no, I think any of us recommend like, you know, when you get, especially if you're a PT and you're like, oh, new clients signed up, I'm going to fucking trash them and make them sore shit because that demonstrates value. It's like, no, that doesn't demonstrate value. That demonstrates you're a bell end. Um, Unless they come and say, destroy me, in which case sometimes you've got to destroy them to show them that they can be. And then work on whatever they need to work on from that point. Yeah. Make them, make them a great ask. Yeah. That thing is like, you know, when you've got someone who's new to the gym trying to learn the skills of lifting, if you can prevent them getting too sore, it's a good thing. Probably it will help with the learning process. Um, but that's that- it's like, look, if some DOMS turns up, that's okay. If it never turns up, that's okay. I sort of don't care. Are you getting stronger and better in the DOMS. gym as the lifts you're doing? Yeah, sweet. Then whether DOMS turns up or not is a side show. And if you get it for 10 days, maybe. <laughs> yeah, then you probably ever did it. I don't, I've done you heard people who were like, oh, yeah, I did train legs. And it was like, you know, a week and a bit ago. And I'm still sore. And I'm like, that's, that's not a good thing. Yeah, that's not a good thing. <laughs> you fuck someone. Like like uh, it's a bit like a hangover. Like if your hangover lasts for three days, you definitely overdid it. If you got a small headache the next morning, yeah, okay, maybe that's all right. Like there's levels to how fucked up you got that will show up in how long your hangover lasts. There's probably something as a comparison there. I've never used that analogy before. It vaguely works. I'm not okay. <laughs> Move on. <laughs> the, the the last one is well, the last one. Last there's two. There's not last two. Why do I keep saying last? There's two here. Um, that I am. I think they are too vague. And I would say for you guys i would actually recommend reading um another paper from ralph carpinelli but the the questions are <laughs> if in doubt ralph read ralph carpinelli yeah i mean anyone who's interested in in uh, just improving their life and living their best life read ralph carpinelli <laughs> Uh, no, but in um, this is like he's got a book called uh, Ralph Carpenter's Guide to Living Your Best Life. People open it and just start talking about meometric and pleometric contractions. They're like, This Luke Lighton. So, the guy says, so he's asked, What's the minimum amount of sets for leg growth? And then another guy said, How many sets exercise exercises to do for muscle uh, per muscle group for maximum hypertrophy? All we can really say on that is it depends. You're gonna to have to kind of wade, you know, wade through the waters and figure out like, okay, how, what's the least I can tolerate? What's the most I can tolerate? What's practical for me? You know, what can you recover from? All those sorts of things. And you, I'd start on the lower end of that and work it up. But there's a paper um, that Carpinelli did, which is a big paper, but it covers like every aspect of hypertrophy, of like the the science of hypertrophy and what the literature says. And it's fairly new. It was done in 2020, and it's called critical commentary on the stimulus for muscle hypertrophy and experienced trainees we went through it on the portal um not that long ago and there you'll be surprised but it basically just gives you an idea of like the science and what what the science is saying in, in areas like that like volume and things like that and it's probably a good place to start you've got to also think of this as a range right like the amount on a given day that you can tolerate and recover from is gonna vary because well, let's think about the things that affect your recovery capacity. Is your sleep exactly the same every single day? Is the stress you're under exactly the same every single day? Do you train every single day doing the same thing so that you're as sore every single day from the previous day? Are the steps you do the same every single day? If your recovery varies because the answer to those questions varies, then what makes you think that there is a static answer 
to the question of what the right amount to do on a given day is. It's not. And so it's a bit like calories. Like, do we know precisely how many calories you require every single day? No, because it varies because the amount you fidget and blink and move and twitch and the variances in thermic effect of the slightly different food you eat every single day vary. And the concentrations of, ah, it turns out there's a few more sugar molecules in that apple in the right-hand corner than there were in the left-hand corner of the other one. So even though I tracked this apple as apple and it said, 80 calories. Well, it turns out this apple had 87 calories and this other one had 78, but you know, I can't know that on any given day. So I can't know with precision precisely how many calories you need on any given day. I also can't know with precision how many sets are optimal for you to grow every single day. It's a range and it varies. But it's seven. (laughs) But it's it's seven. It's always seven because seven is a magic number. Um, So they're those things that you do have to pay a little bit of attention to and just start going, okay, as Luke said, maybe let's start on the lower end, see how we respond, see how performance in the gym is going, see how I'm feeling, and then nudge it, and then nudge it. And then then it's still... Before you even nudge it, I would look at how the set's looking. You know, when people are doing six sets, I'm not going, it's like, well, those are six very shit sets. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, the execution's all over the place, the, you know, the the control, these sorts of things. It's like, well, you know, start low, make sure things are looking really tidy, there's tension where you want it, and it's, you know, you're you're in control of the load, all these sorts of things. And then, yeah, but it's, that's another thing. I think people, they're like, well, it's not working, I'll just do more. It's like, well, maybe you just need to improve what you're doing now, and you'll get something. Yeah, is it we've well, talked about it before? Like what goes into volume? People, are, oh, it's just sets, reps, you know, and all this and load. And you're like, no, it's it's like you know, we just discussed, for instance, how fast you move a weight impacts the load you deal with. So when people are like, yeah, well, my volume on paper is this. You're like, well, it's not taking into account all the things you can't put on paper, which is like how you know how it looks, how we are, what what your nervous system experiences is. You actually have to deal with that load. And how the you know what the resistance profile is is it getting heavier as it goes through the excursion or is it getting lighter and depending on the muscle that might be appropriate or not so there's a lot that goes into it but it's seven sets so crack on <laughs> was the other one how frequently should you do it uh so what's the minimum amount of sets and then how many sets those exercises to do per, per maximum muscle groups they're both on sets for maximum hypertrophy so that one Paul's dying to talk about frequency. Make sure the sets are tasty um, and then um, and then build from there if you need to, but you might find that you've done enough. And, and you know, and then also it's a case of, you know, expectations, right? It's You might actually be growing. It's just it's slower, you know. Especially. Yeah, like how fast do you expect to see a difference from yeah, the sets? I think that's such a common, even in people who've, you know, exercise pressures, people who know this stuff, they kind of get into the thing like, oh, I've been doing it for... I've been training for like three months. I've only gained a couple of pounds. And you're like, well, that's actually you know, probably Pretty good. <laughs> it's like, like, yeah, but I've seen this other guy and he's gained 10 pounds. It's like, he's on git or, yeah. um, or both. You know, <laughs> Ross has gained a hundred pounds. Like if I took that, I was like, fuck, I haven't gained a hundred pounds. I'd be like, yeah. How natural as they come. What's that t-shirt you're wearing there, Ross? <laughs> 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 so yeah we've got to have that that perspective with that and that's one of the annoying things about gaining face especially if you're natty is the rate of gain is fucking slow and so any metric you have to measure success at it is necessarily not going to show up for a little while and that actually does co- that contributes to a bit of a problem um in analyzing how well is it going that is a bit difficult to move around it's a bit of an uncertainty that is inescapable at this point unless you have access to some very advanced fucking university level kit which you don't exactly yeah but i think what like i've got a uh there's actually dan who who works at um pioneer um he uh we've we've just done like we're coming to the end of his first phase and we haven't like worried too much about measurements and stuff like that we've we've used pictures and these sorts of things and you know he's got visibly leaner and he's kind of gone up in weight we were like okay that's pretty decent um but for the next phase i was like okay we're going to really try and push push muscle growth on a couple of areas so one of the things i want in this one is is circumference measurements at least every every two to three weeks basically 
um, not necessarily weeks. You're not going to see a change there, like especially in, in a in a gaining phase. You know, you're not going to see the noticeable weeks in a dieting phase. You might and you might want it there more frequently. But the um, but that that's quite. I'd say that's a provided you can do circumference measurements accurately. And people are like, well, you mean it's just wrapping, you know, wrapping a tape around your arm. It's like, okay, ideally you'd need to like, you know, do it from the same point every time. So get someone to do it for you. And, you know, I know Michael, when he does it, he will like, you know, measure down the limb and then make a little mark and measure around each time. Um, and I was like, you know, if we can do that, that'd be ideal. But that's a fairly reliable measure. You know, if we do it the same, you know, same time of week, you know, same time of day, same time of week, whatever it is, you know, it's there. Um, it's that will be a, as a natty, quite a, an easy way for you to be like, okay, um, my weight's not moving massively, but I'm seeing growth and in size increase in the areas I want to see. So, well, you guys can't see, see. <laughs> yeah, well, you guys can't see right now is Ross is tired. Well, you can on YouTube and Ross's <laughs> eyes. I just doing this little. Have you I, ever know, I guarantee you they noticed a good few minutes ago. I'm just, Bob, I'm just, it's been watching I like genuinely, I genuinely nearly fell asleep there a few minutes ago. Yeah, he, <laughs> it was like watching a baby panda, like trying to. Feel like, <laughs> I was like, look at his eyes. He's like, I was on. Um, I was on. A, it was a kind of like a free webinar that John Jewett was doing. And uh, I was sitting there. And Grace was looking over at me, and I was. I didn't realize I was sitting there like that. Oh, I, I fell asleep <laughs> on the webinar. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I never did that. Like, no, it's, it's, was that today? That today? No, it was like, no, it was, it was, it was just like in the middle of the afternoon, <laughs> like a week and a half ago. Grace has a video of me, like, I, I fall asleep as I'm sitting here, and then two seconds later, it's another video. I was just like, I don't remember getting up and moving to the couch. I'm bored, I'm gone. I'm, I, I like require like at least two naps a day. Like, <laughs> if I don't get them, I'm trying to. I do. Uh, phenomenal. I'm good now. I'm good now, but I didn't that's the that's that. the important question, is that well then, like what's the optimal number of naps for maximizing anabolism? <laughs> it's actually funny though. Speaking of naps, though, like if you're somebody who actually struggles with sleep, struggles to fall asleep at night, naps might not actually be a good idea for you. Huh. Um, which is a funny one that people often go like, "Oh, if I'm struggling to fall asleep, I'll just catch up and sleep during the day." But you're not going to rectify the problem in the evening. This is a strange tangent, like. But that the. I mean, I know Matthew Walker talks about it, that you can basically, if you do it too late in the day, you get like a premature adenosine clearance, basically. Like, so when you sleep, you, your body clears out adenosine, which is the guy that binds to receptors in the nervous system to make you feel drowsy. And you can do that. And then it, you're like, oh, I feel quite awake. And that's like potentially what that power nap sort of thing is for. But then I've seen some where they've shown there is a benefit, but it's usually when you do you have a nap earlier in the day later in the day later it is i think the worse it is well yeah. i think his recommendations is like isn't it somewhere between two and four I'm like, oh. yeah I think, and it's also the duration i need to remind myself i think like you, once you go beyond the point of like you know i think you I think it's like beyond half an hour it becomes problematic but up to like 20 minutes half an hour you're actually all right um but I find out very hard. i'd fall asleep for only 20 minutes and he's, 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 i genuinely this happens every single time i come back from training I'll eat. I'll like, put the food down. And I'll sit down. Boom, gone. <laughs> it also it also massively depends a little bit on like the cultural environment that you're in there. If we were to go look around the Mediterranean and look at the okay, we're going to be up later, but we're going to have this little siesta that's going to be awesome. Uh, but and that's going to happen around midday. Like that's a different thing than us then going all right we're going to have one as the boys say there at four o'clock but you're going to be in bed by nine well is it different if i if i'm staying up till midnight well, well then we could have a conversation about light exposure and the effects of that but that's the annoying and difficult part of a lot of these conversations is there's so many interrelated variables that it's difficult to give precise answers to half of them yeah. other than ross loves a nap yeah i do love a nap I'm also on lots of food at the moment, so at least I'm going to sleep. <laughs> the old food coma. <laughs> well, given the Ross is tired, we'll wrap it up. Um, <laughs> no, I think we, we did get through most, and there was a couple of other questions on which we can maybe save for a future one. So, the but no, I think we covered a lot there. Um, Paul's favorite porn. Um, and a lot of other stuff I can't remember now. I'm glad that that's the thing that stuck out for you. It's <laughs> <laughs> still good for you. <laughs> hey. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you, guys. Peace.
Thank you for listening to the Muscle Mentors podcast. Just a quick shout out to our sponsors who support the channel and everything we do in the realms of education and coaching within the industry. Firstly, our original sponsor, Supplement Needs. They've been with us from the start. If you're seeking the highest quality supplements on the market, particularly organ support and health orientated products, you can use code Muscle Mentors at checkout for 10% off your order. Precision Prep, our recently introduced food preparation partner, delivering the finest quality meal prep across the UK, featuring their new Pro Prep range, a concept closely developed with us to solve an issue we see day to day with time limitations and nutritional compromise. If you're seeking the highest quality nutrition delivered to your door for the best price, look no further. Use code MUSCLEMENTALS at checkout for 15% off your first order and 10% thereafter. And lastly, RAR Optics, the highest grade blue light, blue light blocking glasses on the market with the slickest style. In a world filled with artificial light, particularly those with high screen time, I can certainly say I'm one of them. These can be a real game changer for sleep quality and recovery, something we use personally on a day-to-day basis. Grab yourself a pair by using code MUSCLEMENTALS at checkout for money off all orders. Once again, thank you for your continued support. Until next time.